0: in today's show. I'm here, I'm back, and we're ready to look at the Memphis Grizzlies season. Michael Bolton, did you miss me? Thanks, Josh. It's Michael Bolton here, and it's time for another episode of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. Let's get to it. Let's get to it, indeed. You are locked on fantasy basketball, your daily fantasy basketball podcast part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and I am the lead fantasy analyst at BasketballMonster.com and at Yahoo Sports Australia. And you can find me on Twitter as always, at RedRock underscore Beeble, and on Instagram at Locked On Fantasy Basketball. Today's episode is brought to you by Bet. Online. BetOnline has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. BetOnline is where the game starts. Thank you for making Locked On Fantasy Basketball your first listen every day. We are free and available on all platforms. Now, I know it doesn't seem like it to you because you just got a show from me on Friday from the Bucks season review. I recorded that like five weeks ago. I've been away in France for the last... Five weeks. I got back late last night. And not going to lie, it feels weird. It feels great to be back in the studio, but it feels a bit weird. I feel like I don't do I remember what I'm doing. What am I actually doing here? A lot of things have happened. The playoffs have gone on. Um, they're still going at the moment. The NBA draft lottery is done and dusted. Congratulations to the Orlando Magic getting picked number one. I am going to do, we're going to finish off the last five teams regular season review this week. And then next week, we're going to get into some NBA draft content, including a first mock draft some prospect profiles, hopefully, and some other little things that I'm working on there as well. That'll come That'll come next week. So, yeah, we'll get into that there. But, um, yeah, it just feels, feels good to be back into it and back doing things live, um, watching basketball live as well. The time zones over in France are a little bit different to watch those games. Uh, those of you who are in Europe, I uh, feel sorry for you guys. Man, the timings are, are pretty rough there. And, uh, yeah, we get ready to talk about... Um, Talk about the Memphis Grizzlies. Regular season, mainly because that's what the fantasy stats are involved with. So, I haven't done this for a while either. Let's get it on, Gilly! <laughs> <laughs> Alright, let's... Oh, it's going to start with Ja Morant, but this is how rusty I am. I'm not ready to do that yet. Because I want to talk about what the Grizzlies actually did. They had the second best record in the Western Conference, 56-26 and for the season. Real, well, as old mate... Sheev would say. A surprise, to be sure. But a welcome one. Just getting my feet under me, getting all my drops back, getting my, getting my remembering what's there. It's tough, man. I haven't done this for five weeks. Um, fifth in offense, fourth in defense. They're were, they were unbelievable. They're really, really impressive. Of course, the injury to Jar Morant probably sunk their hopes going down to the Warriors in round two. Um, yeah, it's going to be always hard to win that series, without Jar, but they took it to six, so that was uh, impressive. They had injuries all year, and we're going to talk about that when we go through a lot of the stuff with this squad. In terms of draft picks, they have pick um, number 22. That comes from Utah. They have their own pick number 29. So, you know, not the greatest picks, but two first-round picks there. They also have pick number 59, which, of course, is a... Well, actually, no, they don't have that. That that pick's gone. That went to Portland. They have pick number 47, sorry, coming from um, the Cavs. So 22, 29, and pick 47. In terms of free agency, their team is pretty set with with guys. Um, The guys who are free agents, though, you've got Tyus Jones, Kyle Anderson, and Jarrett Culver. Now, Culver obviously showed nothing after coming across in that Patrick Beverly deal. But Tyus Jones was great. Now, he has been in free agency before. When he was with Minnesota, came to Memphis. I thought then I overvalued his impact. I thought, this guy's solid. He can be a starting point guard, and that never really happened for him. Now, a lot of people are thinking the same thing, that, oh, he's going to go somewhere and be a starter. And I think he can be a solid NBA starter. I'm just not sure we should get our hopes massively high. Like, would he be an upgrade for the Knicks at point guard? Yeah, of course he would. Is he an unbelievable backup point guard for Memphis? We'll talk about Jara in a second. Yeah, he's great here. Like, he could be a starting point guard on a lot of teams in the NBA. I'm just sure that if you hitch your wagon to Tyus Jones as your starting point guard, where, what's your ceiling there? I, I don't think it's very high. Kyle Anderson also is unrestricted. His role was marginalized this season, and I think with the ascension of Isaiah Williams and maybe more minutes coming for like a Brandon Clark in the future, that his role is just not going to be much bigger here in Memphis. I don't think he'll be back. They've also got Eve Pons, who was a two-way guy. He's a free agent. Jared, Col- not Jared Col- yeah, Culver. Uh, yeah, shit else. Don't think we need to worry too much about, um, about him and what his NBA future is. I just don't think he really has one, unfortunately, for him. They'll have the Jarmorant rookie extension to sign in the off-season. And Johnny Conchar has a non-guarantee. And that's where they sit with free agency in terms of the structure of, of their current guys and what they need to do. We'll get into talking about these individual players um, in a second. We'll be right there. But before I do, new sponsor. that i would tell you guys about... Not gout about. Because feeling your best, it starts with what you eat. You know that if you eat something, especially as you get older... When you eat something that's not that good, you feel pretty rough. Um, And Saqqara helps you live a healthy, balanced lifestyle and truly enjoy it with delicious, plant-rich, transformational nutrition that builds a foundation for living in your best body. Saqqara is a wellness company anchored in food as medicine on a mission to nourish your body through the power of plants. Good. Saqqara gives you the tools you need to transform your life with their organic, ready-to-eat meal delivery program and functional wellness essentials. The nutritionally designed, chef-crafted breakfast, lunches, and dinners are made with powerful, plant-rich ingredients, helping boost your energy, support your digestion, curb your sugar cravings, and get your skin glowing. And it's all delivered right to your door. And right now, Sakara is offering our listeners 20% off their first order when they go to sakara.com slash locked on 20, or you use the code locked on 20 at checkout. That's Sakara, S-A-K. ARA.com slash locked on twenty to get twenty percent off your first order. Sakara.com slash locked on twenty. As NBA draft season kicks off, make sure you're checking out Locked On NBA Big Board. Raphael Barlow, who you've heard on this podcast for the last two to three years, he's gone really big places. He's taken over from Chad Ford now, um on NBA Draft Big Board, and he's he's awesome. And he's gonna be joined by a bunch of our NBA draft experts like Richard Stamen, Sam Ferris, Liv Thulin, Um, giving fans an in-depth look into the NBA draft. So NBA draft, big board, Rafael Barlow, the new host there. He's awesome. He's going to be on this show. Don't worry. He's he's unbelievable as a draft guy, and you're going to really love watching him over there. All right, now it's time for me to talk about Ja Morant. Talk about how big his. Obviously, he won most improved player. He was who I picked for most improved player. People hated that. I just thought what he was able to do this year... Um, people didn't like that he won most improved, which I, I don't really understand why they hated that. Yes, I know he was quite good last year, but last season, people overestimated how good he was. He wasn't that fantastic. And for fantasy, we know he was bad. He took big steps forward. I think I had him in the 50s or 60s pre-draft, and he just blew us away. Because as I will always say, like trying to project big steps forward in so many different areas is fraught with danger. And one of JAR's big issues in the past had been a lack of threes, a lack of steals. They were pitiful, his steals, um, and some poor percentages. And he took everything way up. His true shooting went from 54 to 57, big jump. His usage went six percentage points up, 27 to 33. That's that's huge. His steals went from 0.9 to 1.3, a big, big jump there as well. He was able to improve his efficiency. He was able to improve his steal numbers. Uh, his assists, they stay the same, but he's able to get his rebounds up from four to six. And those rebound numbers were bigger towards the end of the year. So And that usage and, and all those minutes went up. My worry with Jar is, and you can see his numbers on the screen there. All right. 27.4 points, one and a half threes, 5.7 rebounds, 6.7 assists, 1.2 steals, 49 and 76. That's 28th in category leagues. He was 11th in points leagues, averaging 46 points. He played 57 games. He had three separate knee injuries. One of them, we just don't know what it was, that first one. Knee sprain. All right, that's bullshit. It's not a real injury. Second one, didn't really get die bands that was either. And the third one was a bone bruise. I brought this up on Twitter a few weeks ago. Am I a little bit worried about Jar and his knee? And a lot of Memphis people found that, or a few of said, oh, don't worry about it. It's fine. It's just a bone bruise. Nothing major. Bone bruise is not, it's not that, you, sh- you shouldn't be that flippant with a bone bruise. Three separate knee injuries to Jar this season. Knee surgery before his rookie year. Oh, it's just minor. It's just minor. That's you know, the retort. Someone's cutting into your knee. Not that minor. Let's be fair. Significant ankle injury in year two. I think he had like a back issue as well. He's, and this is not to say that he's an injury-prone player that you should avoid at all costs. It's not to say that his career is going to be Derek Rose. That's a, that's a ridiculous thing to say. Um, But the fact that with the knee injuries and the lower body injuries, oh, that's yeah. if you break your arm or hurt your shoulder or sprain your wrist or hurt your elbow like Paul George, it doesn't really matter moving forward. doesn't really have that impact. If you keep hurting your knee or ankle because of the way you're jumping and landing, that's that's a concern. So I'm a little worried about that. Jar's still only 23. Um, true shooting, 58%. Great. Didn't lead this team in advanced stats. He was third in Raptor. He was third in APM. And when you look at... And we know that the, the chat about this team was uh, you know, their record without JAR was so good, and that is completely true. He was he did lead the team in his LeBron. For those of you who don't know what these stats are, Raptor is 538s, all-in-one model. EPM is dunks and threes, all-in-one model. And LeBron is a metric for basketball index, three of the most highly regarded individual single numbers. Using all of these catch-all metrics... If you use them individually just to pick out one specific thing, you're going to have a bad time. If you use a whole range of them and understand that they all work in similar ways but not 100% the same, but there's a lot of trends that are telling you something similar and that adds in to what you're watching as well as traditional boxer, all that sort of stuff. That gives you an idea of where things are going. And Joe was great this season, for sure. Still had some significant deficiencies defensively. And that all plays out in these metrics as well. But the fact that he was able to improve his um, finishing at the rim, improve his three-point shooting, improve so much about his game was really impressive. Now, where he takes it next year, I, I don't know what the next step is. 27-6-7, and seven, like where does that go? The 1.2 steals, can that hit to 1.5? It, that's a big ask considering how bad he was for two years there. Or is there regression? Is his 49 field goal on the back of 53 from two and 34 from three, can that come backwards? I think that's a legitimate concern, that there is a level of regression in those numbers. So he's, he's an interesting player uh, who will go probably in round two in a lot of drafts. I'd feel more comfortable towards the end of round three personally with the fact that he's still low three, still has regression potential in steals and percentages and lower body injuries. I'd still be a little bit concerned there. I know I just talked a lot about Ja Ramp, but he's a pretty bloody important player. Let's talk about Big Des Bane as the next guy now, because he is also an important player to talk about. A guy that was tremendous this season. He was a guy that I was interested in, and you can go watch yeah, the sleeper videos and that, like take him with the last pick. That's sort of where I, I really liked him last season. I called a million times for Taylor Jackets. play Des Bane. Hey, mate, play Des Bane. You know who's better than Dylan Brooks? Play Des Bane, play Des Bane, play Des Bane. And we started off this season with Dylan Brooks injured, and we got Bain into the starting lineup, and he played really well. Not to say he wouldn't have started, but he might not have. There was some debate as to whether they would have gone with Kyle Anderson at the three and Brooks at the two and not Bain. There was a debate about that in the preseason. Bain averaged 18 points, four rebounds, he hit three threes, two and a half assists, 1.2 steals, 46 and 90, shot 44% from three. He was superb. Top 50 player in category leagues, 79th in points leagues, obviously not as good there, 31 fantasy points in Yahoo leagues. But one the thing, and I, I had arguments with this with a lot of people all year, is talking about him being yeah, maybe a bit of a sell-high player because we was like, okay, when, when Dylan Brooks comes back, and we're going to talk about Dylan Brooks soon, we know that Dylan Brooks has an absolutely inflated sense of who he is and where his spot is in the offense. And we just didn't get to see Jar and Dez and Brooksy all play together, really at all. They barely played together. And Bain was running as the number two guy basically all season. Maybe even the number one guy at times. We never got to see really how he would go in a situation where he was the third offensive option, maybe fourth, depending on where you're viewing Jaron Jackson. And when your value is so tied into that scoring and hitting threes, played 30 minutes a night as well, 18 points, they're really good numbers. But say Brooks and Morant are healthy all season, and they're going to take significantly more shots than Bain. Bane had 23 usage for the year. Brooks had 29, which is just, I'm sorry, I, I've been away for a while, I haven't said this, but that's fucking disgusting, Dylan, okay, I'll talk about him later, yeah, on it should be 27 usage, Bain, 22 Brooks, but it's just not going to happen until Brooks pulls his head in, and that, I, I think there is a risk of Brooks, of Bain, sorry, being overdrafted, now he's only in his second year, that was his second year, but he's a full year older than John Rand, he's 24, he was really, really good, There's no denying he was good. He was second on this team in Raptor. Interestingly, first was Dylan Brooks. EPM, he was equal first on this team with Dylan Brooks. I can shit on Dylan Brooks, but he had some good numbers. True shooting of 60% is excellent. Hit his threes at a great rate. This is Des Bane. He was um, not quite as high in LeBron, but he was still fourth there. Finally, ahead of Dylan Brooks. There's room for him to improve, number one, by playing more than 30 minutes a night. Play 32 there. But I worry about how he fits if we're getting full seasons of Morant and Brooks. Not how he fits, but he's not a high rebounds or assist guy, not a high steals player. What if the 18 points and 3-3s become 16 and 2.4? Which is possible and still solid. Like, there's no way I'm valuing him as a top fifty guy in drafts. I don't think for next season for redraft. I I think he I think he can be this guy, but it's gonna require Brooks having a complete change or pissing right off this team. And I don't know if either of those things are on the cards to happen at the moment. But I guess we'll find out, won't we? We'll also find out that I'm here to tell you about bet online. They're the number one source for all of your betting needs and sports info. You can find all of the latest odds news and sports developments, including the basketball playoffs, Major League Baseball scores, fights, and even next season's NFL futures. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports wagering information from live betting, the playoffs, esports, and even more. That's a lot of stuff happening. Now, I'm going to look at this, see their odds for the NBA. Now, I'm not going to tell you about the game that's on today because by the time we get to that game, you know, this game will be over. But let's look what other odds they've got over on Bet Online for some other um, for some other NBA games. Maybe for Game Four of the Celtics and Heat series. Do they have those odds up? I'm sure they do. Yeah, and the Celtics are six and a half point favorites. I guess there's some doubt on Jimmy Butler there. Hmm. I think Celtics minus six and a half looks like a pretty good bet to me. And you can check that out over at Bet Online. So head to that website today, or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and the action. Bet Online is where the game starts. Let's go to Jaron Jackson. Remember Jaron Jackson last season, we dealt with the frustration of the Grizzlies not talking about his injury and the constant delays in his return. And a lot of people steered clear of it. And it's another great example of, you know, just because you had that injury in a season doesn't mean that you should be avoided. He played 78 games. He missed four games. He still only played 27 minutes the frustration associated with him, and that's going to roll over into players this season as well, where you're so frustrated with what you got this year that you just won't draft them for no reason at all. And that's exactly what it was for Jaron here. There's still way more upside in Jaron Jackson. 78 games, 27 minutes. He averaged 16 and 6, 1.6 triples, 2.3 blocks and assists to steal. 42% only he shot. 32 from 3 and 48 from 2. And 82 from the line. Like There's some really bad numbers there in those shooting numbers Some really and 27 minutes is frustrating we know fouls has been a concern for him fantasy points leagues 63rd ranked player 33 fantasy points pretty good numbers Jackson's not even 23 yet he's not even 23 he's actually younger than Ja Morant and he's you know one more year of experience than Ja that's pretty crazy so they're, they're basically identical in age couple of months difference um, yeah, but where where do we look at yeah, these shooting numbers? His second season, he shot 47%. Including 39 from three and 54 from two. This year, he's, he's two-point percentage. That's why I think we look at his numbers and go, there's a there's actually huge room for improvement. His career, two-point percentage. 55, 54, 55 across three seasons. This season, 47%. There's not many players who are consistently under 50% from 2. He was this year for 78 games uh, under that number. But is that are we going to rely upon that is that being who he is? Like 30 like 33% from 3, not great. He can be a 36 guy, maybe you don't bank on that. But I wouldn't be shocked to see 47 from 2 become 50 and 41% overall become 56. Sorry, 46. And that's without even improving 27 minutes to 30 minutes. So if he's a third-round player next season, don't be shocked. It's, it's not hard to get there. It requires a bounce-back in two-point percentage. It requires three extra minutes a game. Two extra minutes a game. It's all it takes. It's not, not hard to get there at all for Jaron to be that guy. And he's still astonishingly young. Advanced stats... Raptor didn't love him. They loved, liked him defensively. He was a plus 1.7. That's not too bad. EPM had him as fourth on this team behind Brooks, Bain, Morant. Yeah, makes sense. 98th, uh, sorry, 91st percentile across the NBA. But we talk about you know, the, the shooting numbers. He was 11th percentile at the rim. 52%. Th- th- there's your thing. Look, there's your difference. Go from 52% to 62%. There's 20% or tw- 15 ranking spots jump straight away. Simple as that. He was second on this team in LeBron as well with good offensive and supreme defensive numbers. I thought he should have been right up there for defensive player of the year. I'm not going to say he's a breakout player next year because there's still a lot of risk associated with him with the fouls. But if he's not a top 50 player, I'm going to be be stunned. I I think that to me, he's a fourth. Probably, and I haven't done it yet because I haven't done any projections. We don't know what's going on. But heading into year five, age twenty-three, this should be a third-round player with top twenty upside. Really excited to see where he goes. Now I'm obviously pretty rusty at doing these podcast things because I'm going so slow here. I'm so, so this podcast is going to be long. We've done three three players. Three Jesus Christ! All right, let's do more. Dylan Brooksy Brooks. On to the ship blokes now. Nah, he's not a ship bloke. But he's annoying as well. Maybe usership, like depending on how your view is as a Golden State Warriors fan, or what happened with Gary Payton. I'm not going to really discuss too much of that. But some of the reactions from people in that series were pretty embarrassing. I thought, whether that's fans or players or coaches or all three of those categories, they probably they they'd be pretty embarrassed with the things that went on in that series. Brooks is 26. He played 32 games, came into the season with an injury, had an injury during the year. He still played 28 minutes and averaged 18-3-3 three three with a steal. Shot 43-85. and 85. And then one of the most interesting things is when we look at him versus Jaron Jackson, Jaron shot 50, 41.5% from the field, Brooks 43.2. All right, that's Dylan Brooks with a higher percentage number. Dylan Brooks shot 84.9 from the line, Jackson 82.3. Get all bang on and bang on about Brooks being a highly inefficient chucker Whereas even though Jackson had some struggles, I won't call him that. Because you know what? True shooting, Jaron, still much better than Dylan Brooks. You might say true shooting is a mate up number. No, it doesn't mean anything. You know what true shooting is? It's points scored versus shots attempted. That's that's really what it is. So Jaron scored his points more efficiently than Dylan Brooks. Because Brooks shot 28... Sorry, no, no I didn't. I'm he shot 31% from three. Still only 48% from two. But true shooting was down at under 52, 51 and a half, and Jaron was 53 and a half. All right, so a long way to go. Now, I don't think Dylan Brooks has any ability to be a consistent top 100 player. He's never going to be a rebounder, not going to be a high assist guy. One thing that should happen is the usage and points should come down, and he's never going to be efficient. So when I look at what he's doing here, does it improve? Now, he was great. Raptor loved him. Best player on the team, according to that stat, because of how high he ranked defensively. I'm going to discount that somewhat. Offensively, still a real issue. EPM, loved him. 97th percentile in defensive EPM. Led the team again in EPM, 95th percentile, 3.6. Good numbers. I'm going to discount that somewhat. LeBron, maybe not as good. They hated his defense on the LeBron metric. Negative 3.2 in comparison. So a real disconnect there. And he was behind John Concha, Tyus Jones, D'Anthony Melton in terms of impact on this team. Which, if you saw some of the bullshit he was doing in the playoffs, you wouldn't say was wrong. So I think, again, oh, you stats guys, analytics guys, you, you don't look at the games, you just look at the numbers. You just look at the numbers. You don't know what you're talking about. Um, as, I, as I'm talking here and realize that I'm so like slack with what I'm doing, that... I forgot to update my screen. That's how long it's been since I've been doing this. I you could I could come out here and quote advanced stats. So we're doing Brooks the best player on this team. Right, easily. But I don't do that. Because it's clearly bullshit. Because we, we've seen him play. He does have impact on this team. He is pretty strong in terms of on-off numbers. And he's always been strong on-off. I just think he needs to... Honestly, pull his fucking head in when he's shooting. Like just stop taking these horrendous shots. That's that's simple as it gets. Now I haven't been going through the on off stuff on this team. Interestingly, Jamrant, negative one point seven. Hmm. Dylan Brooks, plus seven point four. Best on the team. That's what's driving a lot of the Raptor and EPM stuff. Fantasy wise, I, I just don't see where he improves from here. Twenty nine fantasy points, maybe like 18, where does it get better? I'm not convinced really that it does at all. Let's look at my mate, the wave pool, DeAnthony Melton. Um, a guy that you know that I like as a player. You know that I like him as a fantasy guy, but I think I was pretty realistic with my expectations of him this season. Multiple players injured, fire him up. They come back, drop his ass because he's just not going to play enough. In the end, he finished 125th in Category Leagues. He played 23 minutes a night. Played 73 games. He averaged 11, 4.5, and and 2.7. 1.4 steals, half a block. He can be a .8 block guy, which helps. He shot badly, 40% from the field, including 44 from two. That's disgusting. 75 from the line, not that great. True shooting 53, still better than Brooks somehow. Defensively, I like what he does. He goes very hot and very cold. But as long as he's on this team, as long as Taylor Jenkins is... Jenkins does some good things. He does some very bad things as well as a coach. As long as Jenkins is coaching this team and these other guys are around, Melton's just not going to be a consistent, have a consistently large enough role and they don't trust him at all as a point guard. He's not going to have a consistently large enough role to be a top 100 guy. I just think that's pretty clear at this stage. 130th in points leagues as well. Averaging almost 25 points. Raptor, pretty strong with him. Good defense, plus 2.7. EPM, liked him on defense as well. You know, 84th percentile in the NBA. A guy that you probably want to give more than 22 minutes a night to. LeBron, liked him as well. Right up in that really key core of players. But I just don't think he's ever going to get... Look, and he played 23 minutes with um, Brooks playing 32 games and Morant playing 57. So I don't think he's a draftable player. I don't... It, it's He's only 24. I think he's a guy that can have a couple of top 100 years but it's going to have to be in a really different scenario and he's still under contract for two more seasons at 8 million a year could be traded of course but I reckon you're looking at maybe him when he hits at age 26, 27 getting a 28 minute roll somewhere and then pushing up from there Brandon Clark very interesting player a guy that really loved coming out of college had a strong rookie season and then was shocking in his second year looked really actually quite poor and lost rotation spot to Xavier T. Eelman. But this year, came on strong. Still don't know what the plan is for him and Jaron and Steve Adams and even Tillman. He only played 19 minutes a game. 151st in, in category leagues. Averaged 10-4 and 4 with a block. 64-65 and 65 from the field and from the line, which is a pretty weird combo. How was he able to maintain being the 150th ranked player despite averaging 10-4-1? Well, really, it's down to one category, and that's field goal percentage. That's that's it. In college, he was a ridiculous steals and blocks player. The blocks were still pretty good. One block in 19 minutes, but the steals have not translated. And his overall numbers aren't where we thought they might get to. In the playoffs, I thought he was really good. And at times, again, matchup-wise, Adams was done in rotations. He was just out, and they put Clark in. I don't look at him and go, well, you know, based on that, we're gonna get a Jackson Clark starting front front court. Might might be Tillman. Might be Adams. I don't know. I don't know. We'll talk about Adams in a sec. So while Clark is useful, he's 26. He's not young. Um, you know, when we talk about him in dynasty leagues, impact, it's there. Like he is good. Fourth on this team in Raptor, offensively and defensively good. Fifth on this team in EPM offensively and defensively good. Finish at 75% at the rim. LeBron, fifth on this team in LeBron, 1.77, offensively and defensively good. But can we get, can the minutes push to 28? If they do, like he's a top 70 player. I just don't think it's going to happen. I just don't think that's where we're going to go with him. Again, I realize I'm going extraordinarily slow here. Let's talk about Steve Adams. Sorry, it's going to be a long show. Hey, if you're still watching this, drop me a comment down below. Who do you think plays more minutes next season per game? Tillman or Clark? Drop it in the YouTube comments. So about Steve Adams. Weird season for Steve. Going to be 29. He played 26 minutes a night, which is more than I thought he did. Seven points. 10 boards, three and a half assists. Big assist numbers for Adams, really good. Doesn't block shots anymore, 0.8, 0.9 steals. 55 from the field and 54 from the line. And pretty horrendous free throw numbers. But if he punted free throws, he was 159th overall. If he punted free throws, he's probably like 110th ranked player. But like, what's, what's good about what he's doing? Well, realistically, he was a one category player, a, a rebounds guy who helped a little bit with field goal percentage, but basically a rebounds player. And that really skewed his number. And of course, free throws skewed it negatively. So he's really a, a very much a needs sort of player. Points leagues, he was 104th. Good numbers. Again, high rebounds, 27 fantasy points per game. His advanced stuff, it was actually really good. And I thought he made a lot of sense with some of his passing and screening. Six on the team in Raptor. Seventh on this team in EPM with some strong numbers. Third on this team in LeBron. Now, if I had been looking at, thinking what these numbers were going to be like heading into before I did the show, there's no way I would have thought Stephen Adams' impact was that much. His on-off on off was higher than Jarrons, higher than Baines, much higher than Jars, higher than Meltons. One of the highest on the team. Higher than Brandon Clark, who's a 3.3. He's a 4.4, Adams. Like, I would not have expected that. And box score numbers don't really show that. He had some really bad moments, some really good moments. How many years he's got left as a starter, though? That's the question I'm going to ask, and I'm going to answer it as well. Maybe one. like Maybe one? He's got one year left, $18 million, and then he's an unrestricted free agent after this season. So I reckon this is it for him. So if you're in a dynasty format, again, his value is not high anyway but I reckon it's going to go south pretty quickly and he's going to move from being a top 120 punt free throw guy to being a top 200 guy after next season pretty quickly, especially with there's other other options here who can really cut into his time already uh, for the Grizzlies. Kyle Anderson. Played really well in 2021 because Jaron was out all year, so Anderson started and got his minutes way up. But just didn't have that opportunity here. 21 minutes, seven points, five rebounds, two point seven assists, a steal. 45, 64, shot 33 percent from three. Now he's a free agent. He's 29. I don't think there's any hope of him being a top 100 player again. Last season, the value, and I think we—I said this a lot last season. When Jaron comes back, he's cooked. And the problem was is Jaron never came back. But we saw Jaron played. Anderson's done he's not really a 3 at all anymore he's a 4 strictly and I think he's a backup 4 and that's going to really make it hard for him I think to have any value as we move forward onto other teams his advanced stuff was roughish it wasn't great Um, especially considering compared to the guys we've been talking about already a lot of his stuff was pretty negative Um, really across all formats and while he's had a little you know, role of being able to be this that slow-mo guy, the good passer, the guy that gets his shot off and defends well, he feels like he's lost a step at this stage. Let's talk Tyus Jones. 8.7 points, 1.1 triples, 4.5 rebounds. Sorry, 2.5 rebounds, 4.5 assists, 0.9 steals, 45 and 82s, 211th in category leagues and 202nd in points leagues. Filled in really well when Jar was out and was a a really good rosterable player. The problem is, is he comes in and he gets like 10 points and gets you seven assists with 1.3 steals. So he's an assists and steals guy and that's it. If he goes to a team like the Knicks or insert other point guard needy team, Pistons. Maybe he goes there and starts instead of Killian Hayes. Like he's never going to be a high usage guy. He will get you seven assists. He might get you 1.4 steals. He might get you 1.73s. But the upside for him, I think is really, really low. Despite how well he's played at times in the playoffs, I just think he's not that guy who consistently is going to be able to ramp it up and really scale that game up. He's really, really solid as a player. I really like him as a player. But I'm not sure where that level is. And his free agency. And what that means for fantasy value next year is going to be really interesting to watch. I think... Think Spencer Dinwiddie this year that he's going to get overdrafted because it's like, oh, look how good he was. Now he's got a chance to run the show and you know, you'll have a site come out, ESPN, and they'll say 40th ranked player, Tyus Jones, because he's starting on a new team and that'll be crazy to do that. So he's at massive, massive risk to me of being overdrafted. And I say this with knowing not what, I don't even know what team he's going on or where ADPs or rankings are going to come out. I just... It's got all the ingredients for him to be completely overvalued. Love what he does. Like, I love him as a player. But there's risk there. Let's look at Johnny Concha, who was the next in line, and first in Category Leagues. So he averaged four points, but four four 4.6 rebounds. 0. 0.7 steals, 0. 0.5 blocks. A great fantasy player on a per-minute basis. Just really, really good. 52% shooting, 55 from the line is pretty bad, but hit his threes well. And when he plays... I just think he's really useful. But he's never... Much like with Tyus, there's this absolutely no scalability for John Concha. You're never going to want to rely upon him to play an extended role. And with Bain, Brooks, Morant, Jones, maybe, Melton, Zaire, Williams, all ahead of him, it's just never going to happen in Memphis, really. Advanced stuff is all right, especially for this sort of player. He should be. He should be a rotation-level player and get every night rotation. That's the sort of guy he should be. This team is deep, so he's not always going to do that, but he did play 72 games. So he was realistically a rotation guy, but I would imagine if Brooks and Morant were healthy, then he would have been the guy to miss out and be their 11th guy and not play most nights. But there's a little bit of interest there. He's still 26, but I don't really think there's any upscalability. Where we would hope to get some upscalability is in Zaire Williams, who they picked really high, pick number 10. I didn't love the pick. He... Showed some things and impressed me. Not to the stage where I think he's a future star or anything like that, but had some good moments, especially defensively. 8.1 points, 1.2 dribbles, two rebounds and assists, 0.6 steals, 45 and 78. 320th in category leagues, 340th in points leagues. Um, I thought he showed some bits. 22 minutes, started game, started in the playoffs. He's only 21. But again, Bain, Brooks, Melton. Where is he going to fit? Where is he going to play? There is a chance that they lose Tyus. They probably need another point guard in there. They lose Anderson. Not really the same player, but maybe. I think, ideally, they would like to go Morant, Zaire, Bain, in the future. Replace Dylan Brooks at some point, maybe. But I'm not sure what Zaire does for fantasy. Could he become like Brooks, where he can score, and I think do it more efficiently, but what else? Rebounds, no. Assists, no. Steals, no. Blocks, no. I don't know what else he does. And that's going to be the problem. His advanced numbers, he's a rookie. Yep, yeah, they're going to be rough. And they are across the board in most cases. Um, in fact, in the okay. That fact, using the LeBron metric, absolute worst number on the team. Worse than Killian Tillian, and Eve Ponds. Jarrett Culver, even worse than. He's better than that. He will take some steps forward, but... The 22 minutes, much like we saw with Peyton Pritchard as a rookie versus this season, when other players come back and are healthy, can he still get 22 minutes? Where do they come from? How does he get 22 if Jar Bain, Brooks, Melton all playing and if Tyus is back? How does he get them? Very tough. And I wouldn't think that he's got breakout written all over him or anything like that. Again, we're going really long here, but let's talk about Xavier T. Illman who I thought really good as a rookie and then just disappeared this season. Wasn't really in the rotation. 53 games, 13 minutes, 5 points, 3 rebounds. But when he had to start games, I thought he was really good. I still think he's got a future as a low-minute starting center. Upside, not really there, but he can pass, he can defend. I I think he's a solid player. His defensive stuff um, with his advanced numbers are relatively strong offensively, he, he's got a long way to go for sure, but there's building blocks there. And that's why when I talk about Adams and his contract expiring at the end of this year, I think they'd be more than happy to go in with Tillman, Clark, Jackson as their three bigs. And I think he's got upside to be a consistent top 150 player, Xavier. Can pass, rebound, score, and I think he can get some defensive stats going. Didn't really happen for him this year. It was an up and down year. Remember that happened to Brandon Clark in year two as well. And it might happen or did happen here for Tillman. So just 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 watch that. Santi Aldama played 32 games, 11 minutes. I didn't love the pick of him at pick 30. Nothing he really did made me excited for him. Killian Tilly didn't really do much to excite me. Um, who else was on this team? Eve Pons, Jarrett Culver, Tyler, uh, Tyrell Terry, none of those guys looks really all that interesting for me long term at all. And I reckon that will do it for me today. Sorry for the you know, rustiness in returning. Um, long show, of course. Don't forget, follow this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and the Odyssey app. If you're here on YouTube, thumb it up, leave your comments down below. guys, We are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.